Today, I'm going to talk about a topic that comes up often in discussions around systemic change and individual personal responsibility. I got an email over the weekend, and this is why I'm even talking about this today. The email said, hey, David, a Cuban American streamer, Destiny, also known to some in our audience as Stephen Kenneth Destiny Bunnell the second was recently interviewed and Destiny said it's not hypocritical to on the one hand say, hey, we need these systemic changes, but on the other hand, to encourage people to take responsibility and give advice that tells people individually how to best solve their situation, even if you're not making the systemic change. Now, I haven't been able to find the clip. Doesn't even really matter because this is a very important topic and I want to talk about it today because people have said to me, I get emails, you know, when we do uh, segments on the finance channel channel or people call in during live calls with personal finance questions or whatever the case may be. People will write to me, they'll say, David, how can you in good conscience and in good faith advise people about how to reduce their own tax liability, for example, or, or work to reduce your own, but to advocate for higher taxes for some people or another example recently that came up. I, I spoke about uh, funding a 529 college savings account or educational savings account for my baby daughter. And people say, how can you participate in creating a 529 account for your baby daughter? while saying a huge problem is that college education is too expensive. There are too many student loans. Um, uh, it, the stock market is not accessible to everyone. Maybe college education should be less important. I'm going to address those specific questions, but let's first set this up properly. Many people on the right. And even some on the left will argue there's a hypocrisy to demanding systemic change while encouraging people to take responsibility for their own lives and to do what is best for them in the moment. Some will say and they say it to me, if you believe in the systemic change, then you should wait for the government to fix the problem and not bother trying to improve your situation. Others might argue when you do what is best for you, it actually will delay the systemic solution that you might be calling for. This is a very flawed and sometimes absurd argument. First of all, demanding a systemic change and encouraging individual action are not mutually exclusive. In fact, I would argue they go hand in hand. Imagine we want to see a more equal society. We would like to see the government policy to reduce inequality in society. Well, we need to demand policies that address systemic inequality, like a living wage and affordable housing and universal health care. And we should vote for candidates who will do those things or who say they will do those things. But at the same time, why wouldn't I encourage people to educate themselves about how things are today, how things work today to improve their skills, to advocate for rights in the marketplace, to take advantage of the tools that are available to them, which they might not even know about to improve their lives today as we work to elect officials who will make the bigger systemic change. Secondly, for me as a progressive, demanding systemic change is not about giving up personal responsibility. It's about acknowledging Here's all the things I can do. But there is a superstructure, a systemic reality that is above and beyond what I can do. It doesn't mean I don't do the things I can do. It means I understand there's a second layer to it. Some on the right like to say, listen, you want health care for all so that you, David, as a self-employed person, don't have to buy your own health care. That's that's what I do right now. Sure, maybe, but I'm going to get myself health care 
because I need health care. It's not really about whether I am getting health care on the marketplace, uh, the healthcare.gov, while saying everybody should get. But these are two different things. We're all products of our environment and our choices are limited by the opportunities and obstacles that exist systemically. But within that, we should still do what we can do to improve our situation. And if we want to empower people to succeed, we should create a society that provides equal opportunity when it comes to education and health care and other economic opportunities. Last thing, encouraging individual action also doesn't mean we ignore the systemic inequality. I, I would argue it's the opposite. When I say to people, here are the actions you can take. I'm empowering them to do that and better set themselves up to challenge the status quo and to demand that change. When we encourage workers to organize and demand better wages and working conditions, we're trying to improve their lives, but we're also trying to make a systemic change that will benefit more than just them. Now, let's talk about some of the specifics as they apply to me or people that sometimes call in or whatever the case may be. I let's talk about taxes. I pay every dollar in taxes that I'm legally required to pay at a systemic level. I think we need higher top tax rates. We should look at taxing capital gains as income. We should eliminate the carried interest loophole. We should shift the tax burden away from the poor. All of these different things at the individual level. Me, David Pakman, just sending more money to the IRS and not taking deductions that are available to me. That's not policy that it's just that's not the way we do it. My policy opinion is the one I just told you, and I vote for elected officials that would put that in place for everyone at the individual level. I'm not going to pay more tax than I'm legally required to pay. I'm not going to send money to the IRS for no reason. There is no double standard. The problem isn't individual taxpayers. It's the systemic loopholes and tax breaks that let the wealthy and corporations evade taxes. The 529 account for my daughter. I'll do this one. If college costs keep going up as they have been by the time my daughter's 18, the colleges I went to would cost over two hundred thousand dollars a year. That's insane. Seems can't possibly happen. I spoke to Adam Schiff about this. The student loan industrial complex is a mess. Maybe jobs should not require a college degree and that'll put downward pressure on the cost of college. Maybe, maybe not. But what do I gain by denying my daughter a 529 account that I can start funding today? I will advocate for change and I will also do what I think gives me the best insurance policy. If she doesn't go to college or she doesn't need the money from the 529 because we fixed the cost of college or whatever in 18 years, I can change the beneficiary or take the money out and pay the 10% penalty, whatever. Now, to an advice example, if someone came to me and said, I'm struggling, I need to make some more money or I want to make more money. Am I going to rant to them about income inequality, tax loopholes for the rich and that we should have universal basic income? Those are systemic ideas. I would tell them, have you looked at a side business? Is there a certificate you can get to earn more money at your current job? Is your resume updated? Is there a skill you can monetize? There is not a hypocrisy or double standard between advocating for systemic change and in the meantime, advising people to do what is best for their families. When people we have a caller who called in and said, I have a trans. My partner is trans or my daughter is trans. Um, I live in a deep red state. It's getting really ugly. They're passing all this legislation. Systemically, we should work in every state to protect trans people at the individual level. I said to them, you've got to decide for yourself. Do you need to move to a different state if you're able to in order 
to do what you think is best for your family right now. Sure. In 20 years, we might effectively protect trans people in whatever state it was they were calling from. But in the immediate, if your family is in danger, well, how, I'm going to say it's no, you've got to stay there. And of course not. OK, not a double standard. Let's understand the difference between the systemic and structural and the individual. Apparently, Ben Shapiro believes that localities could or should ban men and we will ban men from wearing women's clothes. You heard that right. According to the pro freedom folks, it's not enough that we live in a society where people can wear whatever they want. We need to restrict what people can wear on the basis of their gender. Now, I'm going to play the clip for you and you're going to notice that there are some real complexities here about how you would even enforce this. I would argue it's not even legal. But remember, this is someone who's about freedom and listen to what he's calling for. Should wearing dresses and skirts be illegal for men in public? If so, should wearing pants for women be illegal in public? Well, pants, not so much because there is a female version of pants that is nearly indistinguishable in many cases from from male pants. Um, but men wearing traditional female clothing in public, I think that there's a case that local zone, that, that local communities should be able to stop that. Sure, I mean, we have local laws about being naked or, or indecent exposure, or at least we used to. What? Because he's reading a, some chat message now. See if he says more about it. Looking very closely at chat messages, I guess. Have I seen Kyle Dunnigan's fresh president of DC? Okay, no, he's off. He's off to something else now. So the argument here is municipalities should be allowed to ban men from wearing women's clothing, I guess, under some kind of indecency thing. If you can ban nudity, then you could ban a man from wearing a skirt. This is absurdly stupid, absurdly stupid. And again, it's counter to the principle of low regulation and freedom and liberty that these right wingers claim to espouse. Number one. Almost certainly this would be against the law, an ordinance at the local level to restrict what clothing people can wear based on the traditional gender placement of that clothing would probably be against the law. The Constitution guarantees the right to freedom of expression. That includes the right to dress however you want. If you attempt to restrict that based on gender norms, you would almost certainly violate the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. They say they're for law and order. This would almost certainly be illegal. They will often cite the obscenity exemption, arguing that a man in a skirt is somehow obscene is going to be a very, very tough legal argument to make. But let's put legality aside for a second. Talk about the practical absurdity of this proposal. For starters, what are traditional women's clothes? The answer varies by society and it varies by time period. In some cultures, men wear skirts or dresses. In others, women wear pants or other items that might be considered masculine. The idea that there is a clear and fixed line between what men and women should wear is untrue. In addition to that, traditional wear, even within the United States, there are dramatic cultural differences between what is typical, between what is seen regularly in different parts of the country. But beyond that, Scotland has men that wear kilts. I guess in Los Angeles, men, quote, don't wear kilts. But is it based on where you're from or where you are? And then can you actually say to Scotsmen in L.A. who want to wear a kilt, you can't do that because here the men don't wear it. And in Scotland, 
It's just ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And it is another one of these ideas from the so-called freedom crowd to control people's lives based on arbitrary, changing and outdated notions of gender roles. And there is this broader pattern of them wanting to do this. It's on access to health care. We're going to decide what procedures are legal and when it's on voting, no early voting and no mail in voting and no voting in the poor Democratic areas or whatever. The right to exist without fear of discrimination. Oh, let's ban men from wearing women's clothes. Every single instance of this needs to be pushed back against. If they claim to be about individual freedom, then they can't also argue for something that would arguably violate the Constitution on the basis of the opinions of what manly men are supposed to wear. It's absurd. It's ridiculous. And it goes against what they want you to believe they actually stand for. Make sure you're subscribed on YouTube, youtube.com slash. That's a forward slash the David Pakman show. We'll take a very quick break. What a program today, really, folks. One of our sponsors is Helix Sleep. I have been sleeping on a Helix mattress at home for years now. I couldn't be more happy with it. I recommend it to everybody. The other day, even though she's not allowed in the big bed, I put my baby daughter on the mattress and even she loved it. Helix Sleep is the premium mattress brand offering tailored mattresses based on your unique sleep preferences. Take the Helix Sleep quiz. It asks you about your body type, your sleeping position. Do you get hot at night? Do you have back pain? And then Helix will match you with the mattress that's perfect for you. Most people don't know where to begin when shopping for a mattress, including me. Helix makes it simple and less risky because you know you're getting a mattress that fits your needs. It ships free. You can try it for 100 nights to see if you like it. And it comes with a 10 or 15 year warranty. Unlike many mattress companies, all Helix mattresses are made in the USA by a skilled production team. So you are supporting good jobs. Helix Sleep is giving my audience up to 20% off plus two free pillows. What other mattress company is going to give you 20% off? Go to helixsleep.com slash Pacman. That's H E L I X sleep.com slash Pacman for up to 20% off and two free pillows. The link is in the podcast notes. One of our sponsors is Electric E Bikes. I've been watching e bike reviews on YouTube for a while because I've been thinking of getting one, and I continually come across Electric as the brand to go with if your budget is between $800 and $1,300. And I have to agree from experience. I've had my electric e-bike for a little while now. I've almost ditched my car and regularly bike at this point for errands and things around my neighborhood. It's awesome cardio because I'm still pedaling. I get there faster. I can see more. I'm reducing my carbon footprint. The e-bike came to my doorstep fully assembled. It has a bright LCD screen, seven speed gearing, five levels of pedal assist a powerful battery that you can take inside to charge. It's also fully foldable. I can put it in the back of my car. Electric has models for every lifestyle and you can finance for as little as 73 bucks a month. Go to electricebikes.com to learn more. Explore all of the incredible e-bike models they offer. That's L E C T R I C ebikes.com. The link is in the podcast notes. 
Well, my gardening skills have certainly improved over the years, as many of you know, but I still have not figured out how to get a money tree pumping out bills every week. And so that's why we still are mostly funded by our audience through the membership program. You'll get access to the daily bonus show, commercial free audio and video streams of the show and so much more. David Pakman does not have a soul. He doesn't have a soul. I don't promise anything about souls. Candace Owens is right. But I do promise a good time on the bonus show. You can sign up at joinpacman.com. You can use the coupon code indicted. You all know what it means to get yourself a discount. I'm going to play something very interesting for you today. It's delusional. It's deranged. It's backwards as much of the American right wing is. But it opens up a very interesting conversation. A, re a Republican candidate for governor, Mark Robinson, who happens to be black, and this is very relevant to what we're going to hear from him is in favor of reparations, but not the kind you might think of. What Mark Robinson says he wants for reparations is black people should give white people reparations as a thank you for ending slavery. Yes. Now, I know you're saying, wait, but David, that doesn't make sense for so many different reasons, of course. But let's first listen to what he had to say in its full ridiculous glory. And then we will talk about it. Some people that were talking about reparations in this country, they wanted reparations. And I remember I made this particular liberal so angry at me because I told them right to their face, nobody owes you anything for slavery. If you want to tell the truth about it, it is you who owes. It's you who owes. Whoa. Why do you owe? Because somebody in those fields took stripes for you. Somebody after those fields were ended and slavery was ended. Somebody had to walk through Jim Crow for you. Somebody fought wars and died for you. Somebody lived less than because they didn't have what you have and they did it for you. Hmm. There are people in their graves right now and they are there because they were willing to stand up and fight for you. Those folks on the Edmund Pettus Bridge carrying American flags, take that Colin Kaepernick, living in a society that he could scarcely acknowledge, something that he has never known, living with a bigotry that none of us can imagine. Right. Carried American flags on that bridge. And when they were hit upside the head with nightsticks and shot with water hoses and knocked to the ground, they got up and picked those flags up and kept marching. All right. So I guess he's saying not only do black people today owe white people reparations, they also owe earlier black folks who are no longer alive reparations, which is weird. So this is this is unreal stuff. And this is what happens when you just become a contrarian for the sake of contrarianism. Now, I think that there are perfectly reasonable critiques about reparations and the We've talked about them before. You can come down on either side as far as reparations go. But the idea that black people owe white people money for freeing them from slavery, ignoring that they were the ones enslaving the black folks to begin with is really something else. It's like asking for praise for putting out a fire that you started. And the other important thing to remember is that Many white people, including the slave owners, didn't want to end slavery. He's sort of pretending like, listen, 
white people ended slavery, so you should thank them. No, 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 no. A whole bunch of white people did not want to end slavery and they lost the Civil War over that. It's a wacky argument to make. And by the way, even after slavery was legally abolished, we still saw black folks facing segregation of all kinds, discrimination, oppression in the form of Jim Crow laws, systemic racism and so much of that legacy that we followed through hundreds of years. This is really wild. And I'll be totally honest with you. I don't even know if Robinson genuinely believes this. This is the virus, the mind virus of contrarianism of if anybody on the left is suggesting X, then I need to make clear that the opposite of X is actually what we need. I don't know whether this is going to win him the governorship or what, but it is unreal to see them saying these things out loud. And what's even crazier is people in the crowd who decide to clap for it. This country has fallen very, very far. Hey, here's some fascinating news. My pillow CEO and founder Mike Lindell, known to us, of course, simply as pillow. We're doing a class action lawsuit against all machines. He has been ordered to pay five million dollars for his prove Mike wrong election fraud challenge. Now, pillow has been on the show before and he has this reward. If you can prove to me the election wasn't stolen, I'll give you five million bucks. Well, a judge is saying he's going to have to pay up. Washington Post report. This is just the best. My pillow founder and prominent election denier Mike Lindell made a bold offer ahead of his cyber symposium, or as he calls it, a symposium he held in August 2021 in South Dakota. He claimed he had data showing Chinese interference and said he would pay five million dollars to anyone who could prove the material was not from the previous year's U.S. election. He called it prove Mike wrong on Wednesday. A private arbitration panel ruled someone did. The panel said Robert Zeidman, a computer forensics expert, uh oh, sounds like a cyber guy, and 63 year old Trump voter from Nevada was entitled to the $5 million. Zeidman had examined Lindell's data and concluded not only did it not prove voter fraud, it has no connection to the 2020 election. He was the only expert who submitted a claim. He turned to the arbitrators after Lindell management refused to pay him in a 23 page decision. The arbitrators said Zeidman proved the material from pillow unequivocally did not reflect November 2020 election data. They have directed Lindell's firm to pay Zeidman within 30 days. Zeidman says he's really happy. They clearly saw this as I did, that the data we were given at the symposium was not at all what pillow said it was. The truth is finally here. Zeidman's attorney said the panel's decision is a warning to others who have made wild allegations about election fraud. I will say this is not good for Pillow, who is already taking loans to keep his company afloat. Lindell said in a text to the Post, quote, they made a terribly wrong decision. This will be going to court. In the meantime, I have to add my pillow is now uh, under lawsuit. Pillow is under lawsuit in a major uh, situation involving Dominion voting systems. This is a whole other problem for pillow. Uh, attacks on Dominion voting persist despite high profile lawsuits. This is an ar argument, uh, an article from The New York Times. Dominion, why don't you show us what's inside your machines? Mike Lindell, the Mike Pillow executive and election denier, shouted during a live stream last month. 
He added that the company, which has filed a one point three billion dollar defamation suit against him, was engaged in the biggest cover up for the biggest crime in United States history, probably in world history. Folks, Pillow is destroying himself. He told me when I last interviewed him that he had spent about thirty five million dollars on all of this nonsense. I'm sure it is way more than that at this point in time. You've got to add the five million bucks that he owes the debunker. And here he is explaining to um, Stephen Bannon that everybody got it wrong. Everybody got it wrong. Reality is. Well, it is the reality. It is fake. It's the biggest scandal. Um, here I am on a family trip with my grandkids, and I'm attacked from all over the country. I had news reporters calling me all day. Isn't it kind of strange this comes out the day after Fox settles with Dominion? This guy is not a cyber guy. I don't even know how he got in there with his credentials he has. He's an IT guy, a computer guy, <laughs> but he's not. He's an IT guy and a computer guy, but not a cyber guy. Can someone tell me what on earth Mike Pillow thinks a cyber guy is? Not a cyber guy. Now you say, well, why did these guys rule against this? Well, three of the three arbitrators are left Democrats. Uh, we only had a you only get a little pool to choose from. <laughs> oh my goodness, this guy is out of his mind. He really is, and I have to tell you, it is sad to a degree. I think Pillow, I think Pillow's life is in shambles. And he's even said there's not only been an incredible financial cost to all of this, there's been a family cost as well. He's traveling all the time. He doesn't see his family. He's up and down on his plane looking at voting machines and uh, stained ballots and all these different things. This guy has destroyed himself of his own doing. And it is sad to a degree, but he has been so corrosive and destructive to the pillars of American democracy that I have to say my my empathy only goes so far. He really does deserve what he's getting. Even if he did a year of this stuff, he could have stopped a year and a half ago and he wouldn't be in nearly this much trouble. So it's going to cost him and it seems like it's going to cost him big. And if you uh, look at the clip we just played, you can find it on our Instagram or on our YouTube uh, channel or Facebook, uh, wherever TikToks. Uh, you really see that this guy is beaten down and it doesn't make me happy. But at some point we have to say, listen, when you go and go and go and go for years and all of the facts are there and you choose to ignore them or to claim that they're wrong or whatever the case may be, at a certain point, there are going to be consequences for your actions. And for pillow, it looks like it's racking up about a 50 million dollar bill. One of our sponsors is better help. I am a huge believer in therapy. Let's say you've been thinking for a while about getting into therapy. You know it's the right move. You have things you'd like to talk to someone about. There is no better time than the present. But you don't have to drive across town every week and sit in a waiting room because of better help. Better help is the world's largest therapy service. It's 100% online. With better help, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists specializing in a wide range of issues. You answer a few questions about yourself and BetterHelp will match you with a therapist based on your specific needs and preferences. The sessions can be on the phone, video call, chat anytime, anywhere from your couch at home, from your office at work. And if your therapist isn't the right fit, you can switch anytime at no charge. My audience gets 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Pacman. 
That's better. H E L P dot com slash Pacman. The link is in the podcast notes. I've had such trouble finding a great razor where I am not cutting myself or getting those nicks on my skin, which are so common with the cheap disposable razors. You have to meet our sponsor, Henson Shaving. Henson actually manufactures parts for the International Space Station and the Mars Rover. And they are bringing that exact same precision engineering to the shaving experience. It hurts when you shave because blades extend too far and thus they wobble slightly. But with their aerospace grade CNC machines, Henson is able to make metal razors that extend just zero point zero zero one three inches. That's less than the thickness of a human hair, which means a secure, stable blade with the vibration free shave. It also has built in channels to evacuate the hair and the cream. No more clogs, no more rubbing your thumb on the razor to get the hair out. I use Henson at home. Shaving is a great experience now. Henson wants to be the best razor, not the best razor business, which means you only need to buy it once and it's awesome. Go to hensonshaving.com slash Pacman, add a razor and a hundred pack of blades to your cart, then enter the code Pacman to get the hundred blades for free. That is a three year supply. That's H E N S O N shaving.com slash Pacman. Use code Pacman. The link is in the podcast notes. All right. There were three notable Trump events over the weekend, and I want to go over them with you. Joe Biden expected to announce his reelection this week and have an event of his own, which we will, of course, cover live and then have clips for you when it happens. Let's start with the first of three Trump events. Trump did what's called the Nelk Boys interview. People leave me voicemails and they think it's the milk boys. It's the Nelk boys. Okay, very important to understand. Completely deranged and hilarious. This was Trump, I guess, trying to be kind of like an everyday guy of sorts or something like that. But one of the really interesting things is that Trump, for all of his praise of Florida and DeSantis during the pandemic, he's now retroactively talking about how terribly things went in Florida during the pandemic. Now, as is often the case, Florida is the epitome of mediocrity. Florida wasn't disastrously bad during the pandemic, and it certainly wasn't very good. They had a pretty high death rate, but certainly not the highest death rate. So anyway, Trump now is doing this whole thing where DeSantis proves that he's bad because Florida was bad during the pandemic. Why do you, do you think he's what like besides that? Because he's done a pretty good job with Florida. You agree? Why do you think you're a better choice than DeSantis? Well, actually, if you look at the numbers, he didn't do a great job. If you take a look at the numbers, he's very high on crime, very high. Right at he's high on crime. He's smoking it daily. Top, uh, almost at the top. Uh, he, I think he gets good publicity, although now people are starting because I'm putting out the COVID numbers. He didn't do well on COVID. He had more deaths than almost every country in Florida. I hate to say it because Florida's my state. But he had he did not have he did not do well. It's it's really it's very interesting. I don't want to knock anybody, but the thing he did well on is public relations because uh, the numbers weren't what uh, they pretended to be. With all of that being said, when you help somebody, I believe in loyalty. You just don't do what he did. Now he's out campaigning. I assume he's going to run, but I think the numbers are so bad now that a lot of people are assuming that he won't run. 
And uh, would you consider him like to be your running mate? I don't I, I don't see it. I mean, I don't see it. We have a lot of great people in the Republican Party. Yeah. Increasingly, it, it is being suggested that Trump is going to pick a completely insane woman rather than a completely insane man to run with him. And Ron DeSantis is. Um, <laughs> so listen, the, the, the truth about Florida and covid, as with most of these things they for a while, they'll praise someone and then they'll attack someone for the exact same thing. The truth about covid is like Florida wasn't great. And Ron DeSantis made some pretty boneheaded moves when it came to covid and Florida. And Florida, uh, in part, thanks to being a warmer state where people spend a lot more times outside, it probably mitigated some of the disastrous effect of the DeSantis covid policy. But Florida was nothing to write home about. It's not an outlier when it comes to covid one way or the other. But Trump is making a big deal out of it. Now, the topic of dictators came up during the interview with the Nelk boys. And Trump, of course, praised dictator Kim Jong un and just generally seems really impressed with dictators. This will come up later in our segment on the show about Trump's interview last night with Fox News's Mark Levin about Trump's infatuation with uh, dictators. But here's just a little preview. Trump talking about Kim Jong un. <laughs> Another thing I want to ask too, something historic that I'm always amazed by what you did is how you got along so well with all these world leaders, especially yeah. Kim Jong Un. Now, let me I have to pause it right there and I'm not going to pause it again th during this segment. This this shows how the Nelk boys don't know anything. If you know anything about the history of American presidential relationships with North Korean leaders, it's not a surprise that once an American president agrees to meet with a North Korean leader, if he is impressed by the apparent charisma of that North Korean leader, they're going to say, hey, I did something great. It's amazing that I've been able to maintain this good relation now in person with this leader. North Korean leaders going back to Kim Il Sung have been interested in and wanted to meet with American presidents and get the exact sorts of photo ops that they got from Trump because it's good for them. It's good for propaganda value. It's good for showing, look, we're we're respected the way American presidents are. And the reason that these meetings haven't taken place the way Trump did his with Kim Jong Un in the past is that American presidents saw the propaganda value to the North Korean leadership of such a meeting. And so they didn't want to do those meetings without preconditions, pre-negotiations that the North Korean leaders never agreed to. Trump and and these Nelk boys being impressed with the way they were able to cordially meet with Kim Jong Un, it goes to their naivete about how North Korea works. All right, let's listen to the rest of this. What I did? What was he like as like a person? Because he's like such a mysterious yeah, Batman totally... kind of like figure. No one knows what he's like. What is Kim Jong? -un well, first of all, he's very smart and he's very cunning and he's very ruthless. How know? so? Like how? What makes him so smart? Well, I guess genetically he was born pretty smart. <laughs> He just the, it was bred into him. They bred in the intelligence the way we want to breed math skills. Uh, what, who was it? Candace Owens, who said we need to breed math skills into our kids in order to be better than the South Koreans, I guess. Don't forget, he took over a country at 23. And even though he was sort of like it was like an inheritance, this is a country with smart, energetic people. He from a very early start got it. He took it over from his father, but very young. And you had generals and you had all of these people and armies and, you know, every and he gained control. And let me tell you, he is the boss of that country. But I got to know him very well. 
Yeah. Might be interesting to lead with an absolutely brutal dictator oppressing in a completely uh, uh, almost beyond words way about 25 percent of the uh, North Korean population oppressing more softly another 50 percent of the population and creating this kind of overclass of his sycophants uh, and suck ups with another 20. You know, like that's where I would start rather than cunning and amazing and incredible what he was able to do. OK, only someone who understands no history could uh, ask that question or answer it in that way. Trump at another point when talking about this J6 song says he didn't even know what Billboard was or what iTunes is until I guess a few weeks ago. And it was done by the J6 prisoners who have been treated horribly. When you see the way Antifa got treated and so Antifa. many others that did such destruction and caused death, and uh, these people were treated horribly, and they asked, would I do a voiceover? I did basically a voiceover of the song. And it went to number one on Billboard, on uh, iTunes. These are names I never even heard of uh, three weeks ago. But <laughs> iTunes, number one, Billboard, number one. Billboard's like a big deal because that's sort of like oh, yeah. you would tell me. But it, as you know, it went to know it's Donald J. Trump and the J6. Yeah. Interestingly, iTunes has actually been shut down years ago. It's now Apple Music and then Apple Podcasts and Apple TV. So one of the funniest things is Trump says he didn't learn about iTunes until a few weeks ago. It actually was shut down years ago. <laughs> it, it's all just a mess. And this, then lastly, during this interview with the Nelk boys, Trump says if he was leading a South American country, he would just dump the prison population and the quote men's mental institution population right into the United States, which he claims they are doing, which they are not. Who wants an open border where people from mental institutions are being dumped into the U.S., where people from prisons, where entire prison populations of countries are being, and I do the same thing. If I was the president of a South American or not only South American, they're coming from all over the world. He may not know the names of any South American countries, which is why he paused like that. They're dumping their prison population into the United States of America. They're dumping their people from mental institutions and word that aren't used anymore. Insane asylum. Did you ever hear you too young? That's where <laughs> Silence of the Lamb. Of course. That's, that's the lamb. You know, it's it's Silence of the Lambs, right? That's where Silence of the Lamb happens to be uh, you know, <laughs> What's his represented. Name? But insane asylums. These are these are seriously sick. They are being dumped into the United States of America. Yeah, huge massive dumps. They're not happening though. That's that's untrue. It isn't happening. The most depressing thing about the Nelk boys interview to me is that these guys, these Nelk boys basically seem like suck ups to Trump. They don't know anything about history. Their questions, they can't even form an actual crit critical question because they lack such knowledge. And that's why Trump is so impressed with them. Trump walks in and everybody's throwing bouquets at each other and they got Trump a gift. Whereas if Trump appeared on a single podcast that could actually assemble a logical interview, uh, you would have a very different outcome that I can assure you. All right, let's now move to Trump's next weekend appearance. He appeared last night on the Mark Levin program on Fox News. This you have to see the topic of Richard Nixon came up, um, the disgraced former American president. 
And Trump delivered a two minute word salad that is almost beyond linguistic comprehension. This may be Trump's worst interview of the year. It's only April, but folks, it'll get worse. But this may be Trump's worst interview of the year so far. Let's listen to Trump's completely confused word salad when the topic of Richard Nixon came up. Uh, he was a very tough guy. He was, I guess some people would say this about me, too. He was his own worst enemy. I mean, I could say that a little bit about myself, much less so than people think, I will say. But um, he was um, sort of a paranoid guy. And that's OK. You know, you keep your guard up. I don't say that badly. This is just an electric amount of energy from Trump, as you can see. You can also tell Trump's a real history buff. Uh, his views on Henry Kissinger were very interesting. I won't tell you exactly. I get along pretty well with Kissinger, but I, I tell you his views on Henry Kissinger were not so hot. And uh, he was a tough guy. And he, he, they went over to tell him that you have to get out. His biggest regret, according to his daughters, and I think according to him pretty much, was that he didn't fight. They went over there one evening, Barry Goldwater headed up the delegation and they had some senators and some congressmen and they went over to tell him he's got to get out. And he left the following day or the following morning. And his biggest regret was that he didn't fight uh -huh. because it wasn't really like him. And I find that very interesting. And his daughter, when I got impeached twice by. By the way, it's not that Nixon didn't fight. Yeah, Trump, the history buff. Nixon fought and fought and fought until courts made him turn over the tapes that showed he was complicit, complicit in the scandal. And leaders of his own party approached him and said, we will impeach you if you don't resign. Nixon did fight, but the Republican Party had the strength of will or the moral clarity. I mean, you know, I don't want to overstate it to say, hey, you, you got to go. It wasn't made up of lunatics like Jim Jordan and Marjorie Taylor Greene at the time. But Nixon did fight. Yeah, really crooked, disgusting politicians. You know, they just happen to have a majority and they the Democrats do stick together and they on a perfect phone call. Think of it on a perfect phone call. This was a call that I remember Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina, read this. He was the first one to say he read the call because I had it. It was taped. The call was taped. He said he didn't say anything wrong. He was saying, like, what did he do wrong? It was a perfect call. It was a congratulatory call. But I'll never forget uh, when that happened, we had such great support. Nixon had no support. You know, he just didn't have support. He was very, very tough with people. <laughs> just uh, an endless circular word salad. Uh, I get along with people. I mean, I, I have great Jim Jordan and all these congressmen are great. They're really incredible people. They're fighters all right. too. So Trump, there's more, but we'll stop it there. Just electric energy from Trump, as you can tell. Then, as I told you earlier, the topic of dictators came up. And I kind of like this question from Mark Levin to a degree where he points out, you seem to really get along well with genocidal maniacs. What's up with that? And I know Levin's not even really trying to be tough. But it is a funny moment. Take a look at this and look. Keep an eye on Trump's reaction. Let me ask you a question about that. You have really fascinating letters in here from Putin, from Xi, from Un in North Korea, and I can go on and on. And what I notice there's a common thread. You had a personal relationship with every one of these leaders, whether they're genocidal maniacs, 
whether they're elected, like Abe of Japan, who was a close friend of yours and was assassinated. And I want to get into some of this. What would you say your foreign policy is? Because I think people keep projecting onto your foreign policy. Well, Trump has no idea what his foreign policy is. Basically, he just lusts for authoritarian power, and that's why he admires these tyrants. I'll see what it is that they think they want people to think your foreign policy is. What would you say it is? So I think more than anything else, and it was a very personal relationship and, you know, it was sort of a weird situation. The tougher they were, the better I got along with them. And that's probably a good thing because it was the tough ones <laughs> that had the, the big, powerful countries, the ones that can do destruction. Yeah, this is so much simpler. This is so much simpler for whatever reason you want to say it is. And you could say it's because of Trump's relationship with his father. You could psychoanalyze. You could you could come up with 20 different reasons as to why Trump is enamored with these authoritarian strongmen, and sometimes they are genocidal dictators. He's enamored with them. Trump's not impressed with diplomats like Angela Merkel or Justin Trudeau, Emmanuel Macron. He's, he's not. It's not impressive. And in fact, Trump's relationships with our historical Western allies were significantly uh, damaged while he was president. And the U.S. was increasingly not even a part of many important discussions with our historical allies while Trump was president. Trump was enamored with the dictators and the authoritarians. And that's fundamentally what it is. And we could psychoanalyze back, you know, till, till the as long as the day is, we could sack, we could uh, uh, speculate about that. But that's the reality. One more weird moment from this interview with Mark Levin on Fox News. Trump says that China raped America. Yeah. And I got it back in the form of taxes, tariffs and other things. And with hundreds of billions left over and no other president got 10 cents. And yet I got along with President Xi incredibly well. But I was stopping the rampage. It was the rape of America. That's what it was. It was the. Yeah, the rape. China raped America is Trump's latest thing. These interviews, mark my words, are going to get more and more insane as Trump's legal troubles worsen, potentially with more arrests and indictments. And if Ron DeSantis does get in the race, which I don't know that he's going to, we'll talk about it. If, if DeSantis does get in the race, it will also be hugely triggering to Trump. All right. Final Trump event from the weekend that I want to go over. Donald Trump gave a, a statement of some kind. The lighting used for a while now, the lighting has been terrible on these Trump videos. The new thing now is that the camera is out of focus. <laughs> And also um, the audio is out of sync with the video. So what you hear doesn't seem to line up with Trump's mouth. Very strange speech. But sadly, one of Trump's main big priorities, if he were to become your president again, is that he will put God back in schools, which is a really horrible thing to hear to traditional religious teachings under my leadership. We will bring back God to our schools and our public squares, and that will happen very quickly. On day one, we will begin to find the Whoa. radical zealots and Marxists who have infiltrated the Federal Department of Education, and we will have them escorted from the building. Right. So day one, they will find Marxists of whom there are essentially none in positions of power anywhere, um, and they will fire them, I guess, and escort them out, pandering to the so-called evangelicals, pandering to the so-called moral majority 
And all of this is it's really unclear that this is a good idea. This next clip I'm going to play for you is Trump going hard anti abortion. And again, when you look at public opinion, it is not obvious that the anti abortion direction is the right way to go. I will stand proudly in defense of innocent life, just as I did for four very powerful, strong years, because every child born and unborn is a sacred gift from God. So standard hardline anti abortion language, except the country keeps moving left on that issue and the anti abortion push in the wake of Roe v. Wade's repeal was not a good thing for Republicans. Last clip here. This one seems to be in sync, which is good, better, better quality at, at this point in time. Um, but again, Trump spreading anti-abortion lies. I will continue to stand strong against the extreme late term abortionists in the Democrat Party who believe in abortion on demand in the ninth month of pregnancy and even executing babies after birth. They actually talk beyond birth after birth, executing the baby. Untrue, of course, this has been widely debunked. There's simply no evidence of it. Part of this was claimed to be out of New York. Couldn't find any evidence of it. Part of it was, I believe, Virginia. They repeat it and repeat it. If you want to understand how that claim enters the lex the standard lexicon of abortion, check out my clip from Thursday, the anatomy of right wing propaganda, and it'll tell you how rumor becomes stated as if it were fact at the very top of the Republican Party. Insane weekend for Trump. It's going to be a crazy week for Joe Biden as well, expected to announce his reelection. We will have it all. After this break, we will check in on uh, where is Ron DeSantis? Turns out he's not in Florida again uh, and much more. Stay with us. One of the best ways to support this show is by supporting our sponsors today. One of those sponsors is sheath underwear. It is spring. Temperatures are rising. Many of us know all too well about the sweating and the sticking and the chafing. But that's only when you use traditional underwear. When you use sheath underwear, it's no longer a problem. Sheath underwear is ergonomically designed with separate compartments in the front to keep everything dry, cool and separate and to keep you comfortable. They come in a zillion different designs, something for everybody. The quality is amazing, super long lasting. Put an end to the readjusting and the sweating and the shifting uncomfortably. Sheath underwear is really a lifesaver. You will thank yourself. It's a unique product. You've got to try at least once to see for yourself. And my audience gets 20% off with code Pacman. Go to sheathunderwear.com slash Pacman. That's S H E A T H underwear.com slash Pacman. Use the code Pacman for 20% off. The link is in the podcast notes. We haven't uh, heard from or talked about failed Arizona Republican gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake for a little while. That's a good thing. We should all be glad about that. She has not gone away. And now as she is considering running for Senate in Arizona, she spoke to the San Diego, California County Republican Party uh, group, and she suggested that a new villain has entered. She suggested that Runbeck election services illegally sabotaged or even sabotaged her election. 
And one of the things that I want to explain here is there are sometimes reports about this type of thing that I don't think do a good job journalistically. So let me first play for you what she said, and then I'll tell you more about it. Election day happened and they were in a panic and they said, how do we stop this middle aged woman who's hell bent to shut down that border? How do we stop her? And they said, we're going to have to sabotage Election Day. That's exactly what they did. Starting at 6 a.m., the machines did not work on Election Day in Arizona. The machines in 60 percent of our our voting locations didn't work. There were lines four to six hours, and it was primarily in the Republican areas. It was so bad. But what happened was they intentionally printed the wrong image on the ballot. Run back. Somebody said it. (laughs) You're following, aren't you? Everyone knows this. They intentionally printed the wrong image on the ballot. It jammed the machines. 60. Everybody knows it, guys. Some of the polling places, all of them, mainly in the Republican areas, didn't work. This was a disenfranchisement of the voter that I've never seen this big in my life. So she's mixing multiple different conspiracy theories and also pretending as though this run back thing hasn't already been debunked. And that's how a lot of these people operate. There's a really irresponsible thing that sometimes will happen when Carrie Lake or others put out a conspiracy theory that is new to some people. Media will sometimes reprint it without including the fact that it's already been investigated. It's already been debunked. In this particular case, an expert witness hired by Carrie Lake's lawyers did at one point testify that ballots were found printed with the wrong size image by Runbeck election systems. But it's been investigated already. Assistant Maricopa County attorney Tom Liddy looked into it and said, even if the ballots were printed in the wrong size, as the witness claims, it wouldn't matter. He said the votes would have eventually been counted anyway. It wasn't an issue in addition that would be partisan in its effect. In other words, if there were ballots printed on the wrong size paper or whatever the claim is, they would equally affect Democratic and Republican voters and all of these other things. She pulls into it. There were 10 hour lines or five hour lines. There were lines at some polling places for part of the day. Sixty percent of the machines didn't work. Now, a few tabulators briefly didn't work. The Republican Party initially filed suit and then said, oh, it's been fixed to our satisfaction. They pulled the suit. All of these things have been debunked, but it's targeted like a weapon at people who don't know any better, also targeted like a weapon at people who don't know any better, continued claims from Carrie Lake that God wants her to keep fighting for this election she lost. We have to do it. If we just keep walking away when they steal our vote, we're not going to have a country. Mm. Believe me, uh, uh, let me tell you, there's about a couple days I wanted to lay in the fetal position in bed. I'm not going to lie. I'm a strong woman, but there's been a couple days where I just said, I don't want to do this. And God just kicked my butt out of bed and said, get back out there. I put you in this for a reason. I didn't put a weak person in this fight. Now, of course, it seems it would have been easier for God to prevent all of this if he wanted Carrie Lake to be the governor and just have her win the damn election. But God works works in mysterious ways. And we don't know who prayed in in contrast and counterpoint. And uh, the prayer might have canceled out. Who the hell knows? It is not stopping. And she wants to potentially continue this into 2024 with a Senate run. That's very scary stuff. 
I've got whacked out video of Ron DeSantis in Japan shaking and smiling. I don't know if someone told him you've got to look cheerful and this is how he did it. But the guy's personality really leaves a little something to be desired. Ron DeSantis was asked upon, I guess, landing in Japan. Um, what's the deal with like you're losing every poll to Trump, which is true. And DeSantis is visibly shaking and it's very strange. I don't believe this is a medical event, but people are studying this like the Zapruder film suggesting it's a deep fake, but it is all too real. Look at this. Governor, I'll show you falling behind a, a Trump. Any thoughts on that? Guys, I'm not I'm not a candidate, so we'll see if, uh, if and when that changes. Yeah, really weird stuff. I'm going to play it for you once more. And it it is strange, strange stuff. Find a, a Trump. Any thoughts on that? I'm not I'm not a candidate, so we'll see if uh, if and when that changes. OK, no, by the way, there's no belief that this is a medical event. It the, Ron DeSantis doesn't have tardive dyskinesia or any of these things. We're not making fun of medical conditions. It seems as though this is how he's been coached to be upbeat, to shake and smile like a um, horror clown, like from a scary movie. Uh, I don't think this guy has what it takes. I don't think this guy has what it takes. The latest polling continues to show weak numbers for DeSantis, a little bit of a pop up, but basically still between 23 and 24. Uh, the green line at the bottom of your screen is DeSantis. The purple line at the top is uh, Trump. Trump still between 52 and 53. DeSantis or DeSantis or DeSanctimonious between 23 and 24. And th th this 50 percent number is a very important thing. If you're Ron DeSantis and you're thinking about, do I run? Do I not run? If Trump already has 53 percent, you could get all of the non-Trump vote over to yourself and you still wouldn't have enough, right? You could pick up Pence's four and Haley's four and Tim Scott's 1.6 and Ramaswamy's 1.4. You could get all of that and you'd still only have 47. So. You know, there's a period of six weeks ago, I would have said DeSantis isn't going to be able to get away from running. He's going to run. I'm not so sure now. I'm not so sure it may actually not make sense for him to get involved in this. And if that's the case, Trump runs away with this thing. The argument for DeSantis to get involved would be even if Trump already has 50 percent, you need to be there visible and holding 25 percent. In case Trump gets arrested again, in case Trump gets indicted again, in case it becomes clear Trump can't possibly run a campaign amidst the chaos of one, two or three different indictments, you need to be there with 25 percent to then pick up some of Trump's support if and when it becomes clear Trump simply can't do this. That's the best argument for DeSantis, because the numbers right now show a DeSantis that can't possibly win. We have a voicemail number. That number is two one nine two David P. Here's a very good question about what happens if Trump is the nominee and loses in 24. Take a listen to this. It's something I've been thinking about for sure. Hey, David, should we be worried about what Trump supporters are going to do if Trump loses in 2024? I believe we should be worried. The question really that's being asked is, will MAGA riot again if Trump loses in 2024? 
I hope the answer is no. I pray the answer is no. I don't even pray, but this I might pray for. I, I really hope that they are not going to riot if he loses. Um, I do think it makes sense for law enforcement to be more prepared, maybe. But uh, honestly, everything surrounding Trump lately has been so low energy. I mean, bear, you know, with the arrest, there were going to be big protests. There was a protest with like 40 people and a couple hundred members of the media and police. Not a big showing. Let's hope that MAGA remains as deflated as they've been and that no matter what outcome there is, there's no violence. We're thinking very far ahead and we're going to wait and see on the bonus show today. Oh, the bonus show where you want to make money. Yeah. Everybody else that makes money to fund themselves is bad. Number one, we'll be making money on the bonus show. Number two, the Supreme Court is preserving access to the abortion pill for now. And for now is a big thing. Uh, we will talk about the continued expansion of AI, including songs written and performed by AI. Are you an AI NPC listening to AI music and you don't even know it? What would that do to you? Okay, we'll talk about that. And we will also talk about new polling. This this is kind of just depressing. Majorities don't want Biden nor Trump to run in 2024 based on new polling. What does it mean? All of those stories and more on the bonus show, which you can sign up for at joinpacman.com. I'll see everybody then or right back here tomorrow.